I don't think I have uh, ever heard so much good music in one place in my life. I think I may uh, just hang around a little bit. Maybe some of it will rub off on me. <laughs> it hasn't yet, okay? Uh, I, I, I'm totally ignorant of music, okay? Uh, you say, I've heard you sing, so I know that, okay? But uh, I, I never will forget, I, I was in Raleigh, North Carolina, in a meeting one time, and I was sitting on the front seat. I was going to preach. And they were singing choruses. And the, and the pianist looked down at me, and she, they, somebody had requested a chorus, and she said, uh, Brother says, what key is that in? I said, the only keys I know is the key to my car and the key to my house. <laughs> don't, don't, don't ask me what key, okay? Uh, I often tell people, I, I'll save you a little bit of time. Everywhere I go, somebody will invariably say, Brother Sisk, you look tired. Okay, and every time I hear that, I say, the reason I look tired is I am tired, okay? <laughs> uh, four or five years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, I, I used to say something like that, and, <clears throat> and then my, my wife would tell me after service, now, that was 15 years ago, Don, so it may have been 15 years ago. It wasn't that long, I don't think. But anyway, I was in a church, and I preached on Wednesday night. And then on uh, uh, Thursday morning, they had a radio station. So I went to the radio station, and uh, I preached a message on the radio station. At, or, and then I, I stayed there for question and answer, and I was there about an hour and a half. And then I went to the college, and I taught a class on missions, and then I preached in chapel. And... Uh, the fellow that was moderating the meetings, he said to me, he said, now Don said for, for lunch today, you're going to meet with all the uh, mission majors and you're going to have a question and answer time after that, you know. So it was about 2.30 before we got out of there and we were on our way back to the motel and we passed the shopping center. And guess what my wife said? She said, hon, could we go shopping for a few minutes? Main thing, few minutes, okay? And, and, of course, being the good husband that I am and loving shopping the way I do, <laughs> okay, uh, shopping is just right next to a root canal for me, okay? So that's how good it is, okay? But uh, anyway, I said, oh, sure, you know, we, we'll, we'll stop by the shopping. And we went to shopping center, and uh, we, we went through the area and, and going to J.C. Penney, and right in front of J.C. Penney, there were some real nice leather chairs. And I said, now, I'm, I'm going to sit here and you shop as long as you want. When you get through shopping, why, uh, you, you, you come here and I'll, I'll still be sitting here. I'm not going anywhere, okay? And I don't know how long I've been sitting there, but I felt somebody hitting me on my leg. Now, I probably was there 30 seconds before I went sound asleep. But somebody's hitting me on my leg. I looked up. It was a security guard. And first thing I thought was, maybe you're only supposed to sit here so long. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know it. Then he, but he was saying, sir, 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 are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Why? He said, well, some lady came by here a few minutes ago and said uh, she couldn't see you breathing and she thought you was dead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, I'm dead tired, but I'm not dead yet. Okay. <laughs> so so I, I'll save you that breath. Uh, I told the high school students yesterday, and, uh, or the academy, and I, not just the high school, I guess it's some of the lower grades too. But, uh, you know, when you first go to a foreign country like Japan, everything is different. I mean, everything. You know, they drive on the wrong side of the road. You know. I never will forget the first experience of that, uh, you know. And uh, we, we landed in Tokyo, 
And uh, man, they were running around everywhere. I couldn't understand anything they were saying. I was hoping I had to write papers and all those things and so forth. But I did have one good feeling. I looked around and I was the tallest man there. <laughs> so that, that, that was a, a good thing. But one of the things that I noticed first about Japanese was that they made such a big name deal about their names, okay? Uh, they would tell you their name and then they would scribble it in the palm of their hand. It meant nothing to me, okay? They were writing Chinese characters and so forth. And uh, or if they had a piece of paper, they'd show you their name. And if you could see the Chinese character and you knew what it meant, uh, you would know their name. You would know what it, not only their name, but you would know what it meant. Uh, for instance, somebody's name uh, may be uh, Nakagawa, and Naka means middle, and Gawa means river, so middle river, okay? Or somebody's name may be Oyama, small O, short O. Oyama would be a small mountain. If it's Oyama, it would be a big mountain, okay? So they had all kind of names and so forth, and many of them had to do with nature and, and so forth. And after I'd been there a few months, I, I began to wonder, uh, if, if my name had a meaning, and uh, uh, of course when you go to Japan, they put your name in Japanese syllables. Uh, so my name, Don Sisk, became Don Shisuku. So I looked up the word Don, and when I did, <laughs> I was very embarrassed, okay. Uh, anybody named Don in here? Okay, I hope not, okay. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the word don means slow to learn or stupid. Okay. <laughs> now, rest assured, my parents did not know Japanese when they named me, okay? But sometimes names are prophetic of what you're going to become, okay? <laughs> okay. Anyway, I thought, okay, it's not too bad because I'm an adult and nobody will call me don-san, but shisuku-san. So I thought, maybe shisuku has a better meaning. And I found out that shisuku is not a word, but it is two words, shi, suku. And the word shi means death. <laughs> and I thought, I'm no better off. I'm dumb, I'm stupid, okay? I'm dead, okay? And then I looked up the word suku, and the word suku is the root form of the verb for salvation. For instance, if I had given my testimony in Japanese, I'd say, So when I give my testimony in Japan, I say, My name is Don Shiz. I was stupid and dead, but now I'm saved. Amen? <laughs> hey, by the way, that comes out pretty good. <laughs> uh, it, it is a great, great blessing to, to look back over 85 years of life. Uh, 69 years of being saved and so forth. And uh, just, just see the leadership of God in your life. Uh, Dr. Van Gilderen mentioned just a minute ago about you know, staying faithful, and that, that, that's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it's the right thing to do. And he mentioned sometimes even older people. And I have two or three good friends that I watch them go to certain meetings or get on certain blogs and so forth. And all of a sudden, even in their old age, 
they turned from the truths and began to adopt things that were just so far from what they believed all their life. I said to one of them one time, why in the world, at your age, would you change everything? And his sad reply was this, well, I just got tired fighting. Okay, as long as we live, we're going to be in a fight, okay? And, uh, but thank God we're not fighting the battle ourselves because we have a higher power, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, that fights our battles for us. So uh, just stay faithful to God. And uh, uh, many, many of you, you, you'll get out of here, and, and somebody will tell you, oh, but there's a much better way to do it, okay? And there might be a better way to draw a crowd for a few days or something, but there's nothing better than just staying with the Word of God and doing it the Bible way, okay? Uh, just a word. First uh, <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 16. First Corinthians chapter 16, <clears throat> Paul talks about some of his plans. In verse 5, he says this, Now I will come unto you, when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. Paul's talking about a journey he's going to take back to Jerusalem. <clears throat> and he's in Ephesus, and he's saying, now, when, when I go from here to, uh, to Jerusalem, I'll, I'll be passing through Macedonia. And then he said in verse 6, <clears throat> And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you. A couple of weeks from now, uh, I'll be going to Florida. In fact, two weeks ago, I was in Florida. So I thought about saying that to them, okay? I might just spend the winter with you, okay? <clears throat> That's what Paul is saying here, okay? He said, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. In verse 7, he said, for I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you. Now think about that. Paul's making his plans. He's going to Jerusalem. He said, I'm going to stop by a Corinth and, and I'm, I'm going to see you on my way. And uh, then he said, and I will tarry a while with you. And then notice the last part of that. If the Lord permit. Hey, by the way, it's real good to make plans. I'm, I was in a church one time that pastor actually said this. Oh, we don't believe in making plans. And I was there two or three days, and sure enough, <laughs> they didn't, okay? It was chaos, okay. Okay, we, we, we need to make plans. Somebody's well said we need to plan our work and work our plans, okay? But we also always remember, even though we have some plans, sometimes God puts some detours in our way, Okay? And by the way, detours are not a hindrance. Uh, you know, and it, it may be in our own mind, but it's not. <clears throat> and we ought always to preface anything that we think, thinking about, any of our plans, if the Lord permit. If the Lord permit. Then he says in verse 8, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. In other words, I'm going to stay here until after this feast time. Then he says in verse 9, and this is our text for this morning, 
For a great door and an effectual door is open unto me. And there are many adversaries. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity just to be here this morning. I thank you for this college. I thank you, dear Lord, for the, every student that has chosen to come here. I, I thank you, dear Lord, for the administration, for the professors, uh, for everybody that is behind this great work. And I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning with these people. I love them. I thank God for the good music that we've heard, the wonderful spirit that is manifested here. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll bless me and I pray you'd use me for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look at verse 9. He said, For a great door and an effectual door is open unto me. And uh, when I look out at you this morning, uh, I envy you in many ways. There is no generation of Christians that has had a greater opportunity to win more people to the Lord than the generation you're living in. Notice what Paul said, and he is in the city of Ephesus, and it was a large city, and, uh, you know, people came from all over the world to Ephesus and so forth. So Paul said, for a great door is open unto me. Uh, in writing to the church at Philadelphia, uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I have put before you an open door. And then, then he mentions his sovereignty and he says, I open doors and no man can close it and I close doors and no man can open them. And sometimes we may not understand it, but God is sovereign even in the open and closed doors. I often think that I'm glad that people who think they're in control <clears throat> are not really in control, amen? God is still in control. So he said, a great door. And, and today, you as no other generation of Christians have the greatest open doors that the world has ever known. Let me mention just a few reasons that we know it's a great open door. Number one, because of the population explosion. Uh, today, on the face of the earth, there are 7.7 billion Huh? Amazing. Uh, when Jesus walked on the first face of the earth, there were fewer than 500 million people on the earth. And he looked out and he saw the multitude and he was moved with compassion. And he, he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Paul, in writing to the church in the first century, said, and some have not the knowledge of God. I speak that to your shame. After 2,000 years, I wonder what he would say if he was speaking to our churches today. 7.7 .7 billion people. And there are a great number of those, well over half of them, that know absolutely nothing about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The population explosion. Think about it. There are more people living today 
than lived from the time of Adam and Eve to the beginning of the 18th century. I mean, put all those people together, and there would not be as many people with all of those as there is living in one generation. The great open door. And then we think about uh, the way that things have transpired. Uh, I began preaching mission conferences in 1974. And I came up with this statistic, and I'm not sure where I got it, but it's pretty reliable. That uh, at that time, and even today, that about 6% of the world's population has English as their mother language. About 6%. But that 94% of all of the preachers in the world are preaching in the English language. Now think about that. 94% are preaching to 6% of the world's population. And that means 6% of the preachers are preaching to the 94% of the people in the world. Uh, something is wrong with that statistic, is it not? And by the way, 2019, it hasn't changed. That's still true. You know. So you, you have what's happening in the world today. And when I first started preaching conferences in 1974, the biggest question was this, what are we going to do about all of the closed doors? I mean, country after country was being overtaken by communism. And when communism came in, then all of the churches were destroyed. The Bibles were burned. Uh, Christians were persecuted. Many of them martyred and so on and so forth. But 2019, there's a greater question. What are we going to do about all of the open doors? And, and Paul is saying here, there is, you know, God has set before me a great open door. So it, it is a, we know that it is great because of the uh, exploding population. Uh, we know that it is great because of the way governments and so forth have changed. Uh, we had the privilege of going into Eastern Europe about a year before communism fell in those areas. And uh, it, 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 was a, it was a great trip. I never will forget being in Kiev in, in the, uh, uh, I can't think of the country now. Where, huh? Ukraine, yeah, okay, Ukraine. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> uh, you'll get old someday and some young fellow will help you, okay? <laughs> but we're in Kiev, and, and we had, uh, the, the amazing thing, we, we, were, we were just on a tour, but we would break away from the tour and do our thing, okay? And we had a few contacts before we left. But uh, we were in Kiev, and we were uh, passing out some gospel pamphlets and so forth, uh, some little booklets that had just a part of Romans and John and so forth. You know, just a little bit of material. Didn't have a lot. But we were passing it out, and the, and the people were literally begging for something. And they would get a portion of the scriptures, and they had never seen anything from the Bible. And many of them would sit down on the sidewalks and on benches and so forth and begin to read. And I never will forget, I saw two KGB men, or three of them, coming down the street. 
And all I could think of was, and I didn't have but a few New Testaments, and all I could think of was, they know what I'm doing, okay? So I gave each of them a New Testament, okay? And guess what they did? They sat down and began to read it. That was a great relief, amen. <laughs> I mean, I could have been gone, okay? But uh, it wasn't long after that till country after country began to declare their independence and the doors opened. And by the way, many of them are still open. The great open doors. I mentioned uh, Sunday night, I think, about the great open door that God has given to our mission as, as far as working in Papua New Guinea. And uh, some of our, our people, our uh, Southeast Asian director, uh, Brother Brooks, and some of the other people had been to Fiji. And the government in Fiji had asked that we give a Bible to every student in Fiji. Imagine that. Every public school in Fiji uh, they said, come and give them a Bible. So they went, gave Bibles, preached the gospel. You know, a lot of the kids got saved and so forth. And they were on their way back, and they were coming to Papua New Guinea for something. And anyway, they met the prime minister. And someone said to Alan, said, that's the prime minister. And he said, well, let's go speak to him. They said, oh, no, he's a prime minister. We can't speak to him. But Alan said, yeah, well, but we're, we're ambassadors. We can speak to him. <laughs> and he went up and introduced himself and so forth. And the prime minister said, in essence, what are you doing here? You know. And he explained to him that they had been to Fiji and that they had given a Bible to every student in Fiji. And he said, we need that. And the prime minister of Papua New Guinea actually said, the only thing that's going to help the morality of our children is the Word of God. And by the way, a little bit later, they declared the King James Bible as the official Bible of Papua New Guinea. <laughs> it was a great ceremony, you know. It, it was like the Book of Daniel. I mean, unbelievable. Anyway, now, uh, we've already given a Bible to every high school student and to about half of the junior high school students. And so we're about halfway through the, the, the project. There were two and a half million students in Papua New Guinea. Uh, the Bibles cost approximately $3 a piece. And God has miraculously and is continually miraculously providing. But here would be a great opportunity maybe for somebody in the summertime uh, to go on one of those trips where they distribute Bibles and so forth. The great open door. And by the way, when the Word of God, and by the, you know, the, the Bible is given to a student but when they go home with that student, there's about four or five other people in that family that will have access to that Bible. I believe the Word of God has power. Amen. And uh, now you, you'd probably go to a public school in America, and if you had a Bible in your hand, they'd probably arrest you, okay? But in certain countries, it is so open. The great open doors. And doors are open all over the world. I used to get a little bit uh, perturbed. I'd go to churches in Chattanooga, and, and there, there would be graduates of Tennessee Temple sitting everywhere. And I would say to them, what are you waiting for? And they would say something like, well, we're just waiting for an open door. And I thought, there's 
At that time, there are over six billion people on the face of the earth. Every one of them is an open door. Amen. So if you really want to serve God, if you really want to be used of God, the doors are open. We know it's open. We have the population explosion. We have governmental changes. Uh, we have manpower. There are more trained Bible-believing preachers today in the United States of America than at any time in the history of America. There are schools all over America. And by the way, many of them you've never heard about, okay? But there are some smaller colleges and Bible institutes that is doing a great job in training young people for the work of God. We have the manpower. We have the technology. We have the means. God has provided the people in America with the means. So God is saying to us today, I've given to you a great open door. Don't, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Now, no, no, notice another word in that text. For a great door and an effectual. No, underline the word effectual. Effectual. Uh, what, what does the word effectual mean? Effectual means to, to accomplish the desired effect. And notice what Paul is saying. When we, by faith, go through the open doors that God has given to us, that open door is going to be an effectual open door. It's going to accomplish the desired effect. So let's think for just a minute. What is the desired effect of world evangelization? Okay. Number one, and the most important of all, is souls being saved. Uh, when you go through the open door that God has provided for you, and you go to the place where God leads you to go, and if you will go there with a burdened heart and the word of God, you are guaranteed that souls will be saved. You say, where in the world is that in the Bible? In Psalms 126. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall, listen to the next word, what is it? Doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Uh, now, to be sure, some places you go, a lot of people will be saved. Some places you go, only a few people will be saved. But that's God's business, not ours. Our business is to go where God wants us to go and to do what he wants us to do. And it is his business to do the results. See, we don't save anybody. Thank God for that. Amen. I remember reading about D.L. Moody one time, and he saw a drunk coming down the road one day, and he, he came up to him, and the old drunk said to him, You're Mr. Moody. You saved me. And Moody said, Yeah, you look like somebody I would have saved. Amen. <laughs> no, we, we can't save, but thank God we can bear the good news that Jesus saves. And he does. And I've said this, and I believe it's in the depth of my heart, a real good soul winner can build a good church anywhere in the world.
All right? The, main, the, the first thing is souls being saved. And, and, and by the way, it, it, it is exciting to go to mission fields. I've been to 80 different countries around the world, and everywhere I go, I visit missionaries, and guess what? Everywhere I go, they introduce me to some one of the most wonderful Christians and tell some of the most fantastic stories about their conversion. Uh, it, is, it is an amazing thing. What's the desired effect? Souls being saved. And by the way, there is just nothing like seeing somebody saved. Amen. It's just kind of like getting saved all over again, you know. Uh, soul saved. And then lives changed. One of our first converts in Japan was a, young, uh, was a junior high student, uh, Michiko Yamashiro. And her dad was a uh, Shinto priest. And it, it was a Shinto priest of the Tendikyo form of, of Shintoism. And they're anti-Christian, anti-American, anti-everything, okay? And uh, we would take our discipleship lessons to Sachiko. And, and, uh, and we were there one day, and, and uh, uh, Mr. Yamashita came home. He was a little short fella. And I, I got right in the middle of the door so he couldn't get away. And we stood there and talked for a while. And I knew he didn't like me, and he, you know, he, he wanted to get rid of me and so forth. But uh, uh, and it, it, I'm going to make a real long story short, okay? Uh, eventually, Mr. and Ms. Yamashita began to come to our church. I mean, it was probably a six-month period of different things and so forth. And they came about three Sundays, and then one Sunday, uh, they, they walked down the aisle, and they said, okay, teacher, uh, we want to take your Jesus as our Savior. That's a glorious thing. Isn't it? About, about uh, just, just about a week later, the next Sunday, uh, Mr. Yamashita said, uh, teacher, said, one whole room in my house is filled with idols. Uh, I, I don't need them anymore. What do you want to do? And I said, I'll come by your house next week. So I took my crowbar and my, you know, and we went over with a hammer and we destroyed all those stinking idols. And that was a wonderful thing. Put them in a sack. And then we went to church the next Sunday. And after the church, we went out to a field behind the church, the building we were renting there. And uh, uh, Mr. and Ms. Yamashito gave testimonies how they had turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. That's a great testimony, isn't it? And uh, so we poured kerosene on the island, uh, on the idols, and uh, he took a match and, and lit them. And a fellow came by in the neighborhood, and he said to me, what are you Baptists doing now? <laughs> And by the way, Baptists do strange things in some land, okay? And, and I didn't have to say a word. Mr. Yamashita said, I served these dumb idols all my life. They never did anything for me. I now know the true and living God. <laughs> and by the way, from the time he got saved, he was one of the greatest witnesses I've ever seen in my life. He, he was the most positive person I've ever met. Now, his, his, lang his, his Japanese was horrible. My Japanese was better than his, and that's bad, amen. <laughs> but, uh, he, you know, he could, you know, you could hardly understand his Osaka band and so forth, okay? But wh what a great testimony. He died as a heart, with a heart attack when he was 94 years old walking to church. And there, there's literally thousands of stories like that. There's nothing like seeing God work. It's not only a soul saved but it's a life that's changed, okay? Changed lives. And then churches established. 
And I really believe from the depth of my heart that establishing New Testament churches is the ultimate goal other than the glory of God for world evangelization. Now, you can do a lot of other things, but regardless of what you do in mission, it ought to accumulate in New Testament churches being established. And the reason for that is, if you establish a church and train leaders, then when you leave the mission field, the work will continue. In fact, it usually accelerates, okay? And that, that may be humbling to the missionary, but the national pastor can do a whole lot better job than you can, okay? So you, you have the desired effect. It's an effectual door. But then he said, but there are many adversaries. There are many adversaries. And uh, in spite of the fact that God has given us the greatest open door of any generation, there are a lot of adversaries. I mentioned just, just a couple of them, okay? Uh, number one, there's the world, the flesh, and the devil. You have some enemies, amen? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, if God is doing something, you can mark it down. The devil is fighting. I, I never will forget a story about Billy Sunday. He used to fight the devil and hit him with a chair and all these things and so forth. And he said one time after an, a, a demonstration of that nature, uh, he was uh, standing down the front and somebody came to him and said, uh, Mr. Sunday, I've been preaching for 20 years. The devil has never bothered me like you say he bothers you. And Billy Sunday said, well, if you pulled his tail the way I did, he'd bother you the way he does me, <laughs> okay? Uh, now, the devil sort of made a pact. If you won't bother me, I won't bother you, okay? But when you begin to get involved in the work of God, uh, you can count on it. There's going to be some enemies. The world is an enemy of God and God's work. The flesh, the flesh is an enemy of God and God's work. And certainly the devil himself is an enemy of the work. So he said there, there are many adversaries, many, many pitfalls, many ways that can get you away from the work of God. Let me mention a few of them that's in America. Number one, some false ideas. People look at some heathen countries and they say, well, don't they have their own religion? Sure they do. Man is incurably religious. Doesn't matter where you go, man has some kind of religion, but religion never saved anyone, okay? And then you have the idea that today, I think one of the greatest hindrances to world evangelism in America today is think about this, materialism. Uh, the average Christian family today thinking about sending their children to a college wants to know when they get out of college, can they get a good job and make money? By the way, that's not the purpose for Christian colleges, to get out of, job, get out of college and make money. It's our job to get out of college and serve God, amen. But materialism, and then, then there's just so many things that would keep us from going. What's God speaking to your heart about? Uh, may, maybe there's, there's something that God is dealing with your heart about that you've never really committed to the Lord. Could I challenge you? Look at the great open doors that God has set before us. 
And don't let anything come in your way of going through that door, okay? And then missing the opportunity to see what God will do when we go through the open doors. You have your Bibles open? Let's read verse 9 together, would you? All together, okay? For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Dear Lord, you have